town catching fish. And not just a fish or two, but I mean a lot of fish. And everybody was really frustrated in this fishing town. It was up in the mountains of Colorado, and, and uh, I think his name was Jack. And every day Jack would come back, and he'd have just a big old mess of fish. And somebody told him the game warden said, hey, said, uh, you know, something's wrong. Jack's doing something illegal. I just know he is. And the game warden says, I know. Nobody can figure out how he's catching fish. Nobody else is catching fish. I'm going to check into it. So the game warden approached him and said, Jack, i got a tough question to ask you. What are you doing that you're catching so many fish? Nobody else is catching any fish. He said, well, why don't you join me tomorrow? I'll show you. The game warden said, okay, I'll do that. So they met early in the morning. They went up. They got in a rowboat. They went way out into the middle of, uh, of this lake up in the mountains. And Jack pulled a stick of dynamite out of his tackle box, lit it, threw it in the water. Boom! All these fish float to the top. Jack starts scooping them all into his basket. You know, he's gathering all these fish up. This poor game warden's about to have a conniption fit. I mean, he's, he's about to explode. He can't even talk, you know. And finally he goes, you, 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 you can't do that. That's illegal. I'm going to throw you in jail. About that time, Jack reached in his tackle box, pulled out another stick of dynamite, lit it, handed it to the game warden, and said, you going to talk or you going to fish? <laughs> Today we're going to talk about a miraculous catch of fish. And I want you to know that there was no dynamite involved, sort of. I guess actually there was, because we get our word dynamite from the word dunamis, which is the word in Greek that refers to the power of God. And Jesus is the power behind the miraculous catch of fish. If you have your Bibles with you or your smartphone, you want to read along with us or read from the screen, Luke chapter 5 is the gospel that I selected. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell about this special call on on the disciples to follow Jesus. But I like Luke's account uh, for many reasons. In the first four verses, it says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of uh, Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the two boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Today I want you to know that if God has the power over nature to perform the kind of miracles that we're going to, the miracle that we're going to talk about today, then he has the power to equip. Whatever he's calling you to do, whatever burden he's laid on your heart, you may think to yourself, this is too big for me, and I want you to know you're absolutely right. It probably is too big for you. But nothing is impossible for God, and the power of his Holy Spirit in you will enable you to do God-sized dreams, not your many man-sized dreams, but much bigger dreams than, than yourself. The Lake of Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Galilee was 8 miles wide and 13 miles long. This is no small pond. And along the shore were very fertile hills, which contained nine different cities or towns. And collectively, this fishing community of nine little cities clustered along this this lake uh, was probably a greater population with nearly 15,000 people in each of these little nine towns, probably larger than all of Jerusalem itself. 
And so for Jesus to be teaching among these people, uh, he's gaining quite a crowd around him. And I like that he asks to be put out to sea a little bit. Jesus is the master teacher for so many reasons. Jesus has a way of always relating what he's talking about to his audience. If he's talking to fishermen, he'll talk to them about becoming fishers of men. If he's talking to farmers, gardeners, he'll talk to them about sowing the seeds of the gospel. If he's talking to people who know all about being deep in debt and owned by other people because of their debts, he, he talks to them uh, about having their debts forgiven. If he's talking to people that work in a vineyard, he'll do a parable based on a vineyard. He always related it to the people in their common day, everyday life and put them in the shoes of the people in his stories. And here we have this practical method. Uh, another reason why Jesus is such a great teacher, the crowds are pressing in on him all around him. Everybody wanted what? They wanted to hear him teach. At this point, Jesus is already well known uh, by all of the people as a great teacher who can perform miracles and his, his fame has grown and he can't go anywhere where he doesn't have a big crowd of people pressing in on him. And so he has Peter to put him out just a little bit from the shore in his boat. The acoustics would have been great for this as his voice as the words of Jesus reflected off of the water and in onto the hearers of his teaching as they assembled on the hills and and the higher up they went on the hills it was almost like grandstands you know as, as he was teaching and it says he completed his teaching all that he wanted to speak he spoke to them and I picture it to be kind of a casual lecture says he's sitting there on the boat teaching his lesson to the people. And then it's when he finishes, he decides to work this powerful miracle, and he instructs Peter. He says, I want you to take me out into the deep water. Let's cast those nets again. There were two kinds of nets that the fishermen used. Uh, I can't necessarily pronounce them, but one was a much larger a net that was pulled behind the boats and it had different kind of weights and different kinds of floaters on it uh, and and it was basically would come behind the boat and kind of scoop the fish up as it was pulled along and the other kind of net was the kind that they threw over the side it was more umbrella shaped it was kind of like dropping a net or a trap on the fish and gathering them up that way Regardless of what kind of nets, and, and all fishermen use both kinds, these nets required a lot of work. Whether you caught any fish or not, <laughs> at the end of your fishing experience, there were chores to do. Fishermen, you all know this, right? When you go fishing, whether you catch any fish or not, on your way home, the boat has to be cleaned and maintained. The, the tackle has to be properly stored away. If you've bought live bait and you've not used all of it because the fish weren't biting, something has to be done with those night crawlers. I have found night crawlers before in my tackle box that I forgot to take care of. It's a sad, sad story for the night crawlers. I've accidentally put night crawlers in the freezer. They don't last well in there either. You can't really, the thawing process loses something. 
But a lot of work goes into fishing. I had a buddy who used to take me to Raccoon Lake, and, and we would, he'd pick me up at like 3.30 or 4 in the morning so that we could get to the lake by 5 and have our boat out onto the water because it takes a long time to unhitch it and get the truck pulled up and parked and get back on the boat and get in it and get it started and get to where you want to go. And, and, and it might be 5.30 by the time you're actually casting that first pole and getting ready to fish. And when it's over... Just because you stop fishing at 7 o'clock doesn't mean you're automatically home and in your living room at 7 o'clock. It takes a, a long time to get it all packed up and to get it. And so here are these fishermen. They are exhausted because they have fished all night long, and they have not caught anything. And they're going through the arduous task of, of mending their nets and washing their nets and properly folding them up and storing them away and cleaning the boats and getting everything taken care of. And they're feeling defeated. It, was it really worth all of this? They might have wondered. I didn't catch anything. We didn't catch it. And it's not just a hobby for them, something they do on their day off or on vacation or in their retirement years. It's their livelihood. All of those little towns that I mentioned along there all had fishing names. When you look and see what the meaning was behind their names, it had something to do with the fishing industry and the shipping of fish uh, to other towns and to Jerusalem and, and so forth. This was their job. They're going home empty-handed. They've not caught any fish, and they're doing a lot of work. And then here comes Jesus to suggest, to command, that they put out to sea and that they fish a little more. Verse 4 tells us that Jesus told them to let down their nets for a catch. Very confident for a catch. They're going to catch some fish if they'll do what he tells them to do. And this was his object lesson. This wasn't just fishing. Jesus was still teaching. Jesus used Simon Peter's boat for a great miracle. And Peter was willing to allow him to be a part of this. The first thing that I, I get from verse 5 tells us of an unconditional obedience. Verse 5, Luke 5, uh, verse 5 says this. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Not only had they not caught any fish all night, but nighttime was the best time to catch fish. Uh, and, and that's still true today. It's true at all of our local lakes, you know, at, at, at late into the evening or early in the morning or throughout the night is good. But you don't get in a boat in the middle of the day on a 95 degree day and go out to the middle of the lake away from all the shade trees and the coves and do your fishing around 3 or 4 in the afternoon. The fish aren't biting. They've fished all night. They've caught nothing. And here Jesus is, now that the sun has risen and the water is heated up and the fish have gone down deeper, hey, let's go out to the deep and catch some fish. To have fished all night and not caught anything. And to have Jesus say, let's go and do some fishing. I heard a preacher preach on this passage, and he titled his whole sermon, Because You Say So. Because You Say So. When you're fully sold out to Jesus, if he's your Lord and master, if you are a true disciple of his, then your response to his commands are because you say so. Because you say so, Lord. God's word doesn't have to make sense to you for you to obey it. God's word doesn't have to be convenient 
for you to obey it. God's word doesn't have to be fun for you to obey it. God's word doesn't have to be what will make you the most money for you to obey it. God's word doesn't have to be what will make you the most popular for you to obey it. If you're his disciple and he's your Lord and your master and he says so in his word, you don't question it. You do it because you're being obedient to him. Now that's discipleship. And when you're fully sold out to Jesus, when you've signed up to be an obedient follower of his, even though you don't know yet maybe everything that's in his word, like a blank check you've written to him, I belong to him and what he says I'm going to do because I'm not the boss of me anymore. And when you obey God, when it's no longer easy to do so, then you're his disciple. I don't call anyone on earth master or Lord. <laughs> I'm not in the habit of doing that, that's for sure. And if I'm going to call Jesus my Lord, then I need to be fully subject to his will for my life. Dallas Willard has said that to become a disciple of Jesus is to decide to live your life the way he would live it through you. Are you sold out to Jesus? When you look at your, your planner, on your calendar, on your smartphone, what have you, and you look at the things that you say yes to and the things that you say no to, what trumps what? When was the last time you say, I can't do that because I am committed to following the Lord? And this would distract me from following him. Because you see, he is my priority. Above work, above school, above clubs and hobbies and and activities and arts and sports and everything else and mowing my grass for the homeowners association to be happy above all of those things I belong to him first and foremost he is my lord he is my master and if he says for me to do it I belong to him is that you have you signed up for that full submission to Jesus I think most of us have but do we remember the commitment that we've promised to make. Now, here's another aspect of this <laughs> unconditional uh, obedience by Simon Peter. Jesus was a lumberjack slash carpenter. Peter was an expert fisherman. <laughs> Peter knows when the fish are biting and when they're not. Peter knows what's the best time of the day to fish and when it isn't. Peter knows what the best spot on the lake is and what isn't and Jesus tells him let's put out to deep sea and let's drop your nets again and prepare for a catch and Peter says Lord we've toiled all night we've taken nothing you see the empty nets but because you say so fire up the boats let's go there is a God I'm not him I'll follow you anywhere Jesus and out to sea they go. It'd be like an architect telling a surgeon what kind of scalpel to use. <laughs> or a plumber telling an artist what kind of brush to use to paint. Or a preacher telling an electrician whether or not a, a wire is hot. Or a pharmacist telling an accountant what numbers to add up. <laughs> Jesus is out of his profession, but everything is subject to him. And Peter, the expert fisherman, says, because you say so. Next thing, verses 6 through 8, we see humble admiration. It says, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came, and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. <laughs> this is no ordinary catch. <laughs> uh, 
the boats began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus' miracles were extreme. There were no opportunities to explain them away. And Luke, if, like, like if they had caught maybe just one, one average-sized fish, we'd say, well, that's going to happen. You, you get that. You know, it's kind of odd to catch a fish like that here in the middle of the day in that kind of water on a night when they, after a night when they weren't biting. But you, you can catch a fish every now and then. The boats were sinking. The nets were breaking. Not one boat, but both boats. There was no question that this was an extreme miracle. And Peter says, oh, my goodness, I am not worthy to be in your presence, Lord. Because of this incredible miracle. In Matthew 16, Jesus had come into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what's the word about me on the street? And they began to speak up and say, well, some say that you're, you're John the Baptist and you've come back from the dead. Others say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus made it very personal, and he says, but you, who do you say that I am? And who is it that speaks up? Simon Peter. And he replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And he changes his name from Simon to Petros, which means rock, like a football coach calling a player rocky. You're solid. You're solid, Peter. My Father in heaven has put on your heart exactly who I am, and that's going to be the foundation on which the church will be built. The fact that I am the promised Messiah, the Christ, that I am the only Son of God, that I am the only Savior of man. You got it. Bingo. Perfect answer. That is who I am. Humble admiration by Simon Peter in the presence of the miracle worker. The third thing is awe-inspiring conviction. Verses 9 and 10 say this, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that had, they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. You will be catching men. Peter's statement of faith in Jesus was backed up by his humility to even be in the presence of Jesus. But Jesus, the one who can create the miracles, is the one who can equip you to do what he calls you to do. The commonality that I was looking or considering in all of these miracles is God's power, and it's definitely there. But there is another one as well. The common thing that keeps jumping out to me in these New Testament examples especially is that Jesus is putting the main characters of his miracles to work. Last week we used that word deputizing. <laughs> Remember the man who had been freed from all you know, the, the demons? Our name is Legion for we are many. And, and he's dressed, he's in his right mind, he's all cleaned up. I mean, I picture his hair's been combed, got a little hair product in there. He's brushed his teeth, gargled, brushed, flossed. He's wearing good-looking clothes. And, and he's in his right mind. And what does he want to do? I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. And he's got like one foot in the boat. <laughs> you know, he's ready. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to go back to your community. Go back to your friends. And you tell them about me and what I've done for you. 
And here Jesus is calling the disciples, come and follow me. And they had already been his disciples. They were already followers of him. But now he is calling them to this next level where they are going to walk away from their expert professions and they are going to exclusively work full-time for him. Not everyone's called into full-time vocational ministry. Not everybody's called to go across the globe and, and serve full-time in mission work. All are called to follow him, though. The Apostle Paul worked third shift making tents so that he could preach during the day. And he was an apostle who wrote the majority of the New Testament outside of the Gospels and the book of Revelation. And when Jesus calls you to follow him in whatever capacity, he will always equip you. But it takes radical action, and that's the final thing I want to look at in verse 11. It says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. <laughs> they left everything and followed him. Following Jesus became their main priority in their lives. How radical is your discipleship? Are you able to put disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus kingdom worker at the top of your list of priorities above all else because Jesus is all or nothing someone has said to be almost saved is to be completely lost and and he calls us to be all in it's it's a radical action to follow him DeGarmo and Kia a music group in the 80s and 90s Christian artist had a, had a thing a song called the pledge he died for me, I'll live for him. And that's a good thing. His burden is light. joke is easy. And, and to give up everything to follow him. To use, to use your role in your family as a follower of Christ. To multiply yourself out by, by growing your, your children up to follow Jesus by loving your spouse the way Christ loved the church that's disciple that's being a disciple to be the kind of worker at work that works not as for men but as for the Lord so that you are the best employee the place where you work that's being a disciple of Jesus to be the best teacher in the classroom or the best student and the most honest and full of integrity uh, on the team that's what being a disciple of Jesus looks like it means more than just clocking in, clocking out for an hour on Sunday morning. But it means 24-7. You belong to him. He is your master. There is a God and you're not him. And you follow him in every way. That's discipleship. Warren Wearsby writes of Jesus. He preached to the great crowds, but his message was always to the individual. And he took time to help people personally. This was a personal call on them. What if Peter had not let Jesus use his boat to teach? <laughs> what if Peter had not launched out to the deep water to fish again? He would have missed out on being in a miracle. So I encourage you this morning, step out into God's bigger picture in your life and see if you don't look back later and ask, what if I hadn't gone into deeper water? As you look back on 2019, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, I want you to ask yourself, what if I hadn't gone out into deeper water? And to be able to think about that bigger, that bigger picture that God has in your life. This was the start, the call of these famous disciples that had been known and loved by 
Christians for a couple of thousand years. It's pretty significant. In John chapter 21, as part of the Easter story, Jesus has risen from the dead. And by the way, it's kind of interesting to me too because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell about the call. Luke's the only one that tells about the miraculous catch of, of fish. But later on, it's John who tells about the second miraculous catch of fish. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's walking along the shore. And guess what these disciples have done? I forget how many I read, like seven of them that were part of the first catch were now part of this second catch. And, and guess what they've done? <laughs> they've fished all night long. And guess what they've caught? Nothing. <laughs> they've not caught anything. Does this sound familiar? And a stranger comes walking up alongside the shore, and he hollers out, catch anything? <laughs> That's the worst than having to put away all your fishing nets and everything after not catching anything, is that person that asked, did you catch anything? <laughs> I'm notorious for that at hunting season. I'll ask my deer hunting friends, did you get one? No. And I'm like, oh, wish I hadn't asked. Catch anything? No. <laughs> they said, and Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. And I mean to tell you, can you imagine what you'd be thinking at this point? Hey, I know this story. <laughs> I've lived this story. Jesus had us do that. And they do, and guess what? They have a second miraculous catch of fish. And somebody says to Peter, it's the Lord. Yeah, you think so? <laughs> And Peter does one of these. He grabs his outer cloak and wraps it around him. He's no longer going to be just a fisherman. And he jumps out of the boat and he goes running across the water uh, to Jesus. And Jesus has got his attention at this point, right? Because the reason they caught the second miraculous catch of fish wasn't just to help them have some good income and a tasty fish fry, which they had for breakfast that morning. But it was to remind them of their call. He always takes them back to it. He always makes it personal. G Peter, Jesus told Peter, when Peter said, I'll follow you anywhere. If I have to, I'll die for you. Will you, Peter? You, before the alarm clock goes off in the morning, before the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me. The rooster crows three times, and Peter's already denied Jesus three times. Uh, the, the rooster crows, and, and Peter's already denied Jesus three times. But what does Jesus do with Peter after the resurrection? Do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, you know everything. Then feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Second time. Yes, Lord. <laughs> you, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. A third time. Peter, do you love me? Ah. Uh, you denied, I denied him three times. He's restored me by asking me to feed his sheep. He still wants me in his kingdom. Flawed, imperfect. The one who can perform these miracles is the one who can empower you to do whatever he calls you to do. Go into the deeper water. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, for, for our entire congregation, those that are traveling and soaking in your creation all around. God, I pray that you'd give rest to those, uh, Lord, who are, are seeking some vacation. I pray, God, for those of us who are here today, Lord, that, that your word, God, your Holy Spirit will take your word that's living and active and it'll do something bigger in us, that, God, you'll, you'll take us into deeper water for your kingdom and that, God, you'll work some power through us that we could never do on our own, that we could never take credit for even if we wanted to because it's too big for us to claim. God, that's what I pray for all of us here today. And, Father, may that start right now. 
as we continue to sing praises to you. Have your own way, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.